Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi there, it's Lucinda Carney from the HR Uprising, and I'm here to introduce this week our second in our 12 HRs of Christmas series. And I've got three fabulous HR professionals who I'm talking to this week. Two of them I've actually worked with directly, and one of them I met through the HR Uprising podcasts, which is really rather nice. So the first person that we're going to hear from is Dan Jones, and he's the director of HR at Falmouth University. It's quite exciting at Falmouth because they've got a, a really um, big vision about where they're going in, in as a university and they're putting some great cultural change stuff. He talks about the importance of being strategically aligned and that we should be less apologetic as HR professionals. Uh, it's all about influencing influencing others and uh, you know, he's got some really great examples as to how we can be brave and, and less apologetic in doing that. We then go and hear from Ellie Walker who she's more of an HR, sorry, more of a learning and development professional. She talks about being more values focused, her progression, lots of areas of where she's worked in the charity sector. She's also actively studying on her CIPD. And I found her really inspiring, actually, as she was talking about her commitment to learning, whether it's listening to podcasts, um, whether it's researching things, whether it's um, interacting on social media. She's really got a commitment to continuous learning and development. And then finally, we hear from Jennifer Sherla Gormley, who is somebody who I had the pleasure of working with for about 10 years when we were both in Siemens together. And uh, we did some great stuff. We really we really learned together, actually. And she's what I would call, consider to be one of the best business partners I've ever worked with, HR business partners, almost a, pro- a professional HRBP. She's now in a very senior business partner role for Cisco. And she talks about, you know, the challenges of self-belief, overcoming fear, also about the different leaders that you have to work with as a business partner and collaborate with to get the best out of it. And one of the best um, quotes I think she comes up with where she's saying actually if we're going to be in HR it's about having passion for both the business and the people. So three different conversations, different people but all hugely inspiring I hope and just think it's great for us to be able to hear from people in different roles. We will put contact details Um, for each of the people concerned if there's any links otherwise we'll put them in the show notes so I do really hope you enjoy uh, this week's HR Uprising. I'd like to welcome now Dan Jones who is the Director of HR at Falmouth University. Welcome Dan. Hi Lucinda. Thanks so much for coming on the HR Uprising. Um, We were chatting earlier but obviously one of the benefits of this or the ideas behind this 12 in 12 is understanding a bit about people's journeys uh, through their HR journey, essentially. Would you be kind enough to talk us through, you know, how you got to being in this position? Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, So I guess my kind of career started, I started off in the NHS, um, working in a a HR advisory role, working in both acute and community provision. So that was kind of a great opportunity for me really to start to develop some of that core HR practice. It's a very structured organisation, lots of good kind of policy and process. So that was a, a nice sort of starting point, I guess, to, to learn some of the trade. Um, 
but having been there for a number of years, so sort of coming up for seven years in the NHS, what I started to realize I was missing was that ability to really link the people strategy and the people activities to some of the more commercial activity and commercial strategy. So moved across to uh, a large outsourcing firm, um, working across multiple different business lines that they had within there. And that was a, a real sort of learning journey in terms of not having a one-size-fits-all approach, each different division, each different business line needing a very different approach to how we kind of came at the, the HR strategy and, and people plans. Um, and also it moved me into an organisation that had a much bigger geographical spread and with large workforce spread across the UK. So actually that approach to HR for me then had to become much more one of kind of advisory and coaching because it was impossible to be sort of hands-on to managing some of those activities. So less doing a more sort of um, business partnering type? Yeah, talk, yeah absolutely. Heading in, that, heading in that direction. And um, I think kind of, you know, also having confidence, that learning to have confidence that actually after you've coached and, and upskilled managers, they are perfectly capable and perfectly good at making some really robust, sound decisions. Um, so empowering them to be able to, to get on with that. And you're forced to do that just through simple facts of not having enough time to be everywhere at the same time. Just before you go on to your next one, out of curiosity, did you do um, an HR? Degree? What made you decide to get into HR in the first place? So I did a um, so I did a general business studies degree, um, and during that degree, I specialised in HR and had the opportunity. So at the university I was at, I had the opportunity to do my CIPD accreditation alongside the degree. So as long as you did certain module choices, and there were a couple of additional modules that you had to do. Um, it meant you sort of graduated both with the academic degree, but also with the CIPD qualification as well. So oh, that was that was the main um, sort of driver, really. So uh, kind of you know early in that in that degree course where you were required to specialise down one particular business path. Um, kind of people felt like the most interesting one to me at that point. Cool. Sorry to interrupt you on that. I just, that's interesting. I haven't heard about doing CIPD and um, alongside your degree. Is that, I don't know if that's common or uncommon. It, for, it, was, it, it was a while ago now, so it may not exist anymore. But um, it mm. was, um, yeah, certainly something that kind of really worked for me. And I think actually it, it gave you that piece that took that academic aspect, but linked it to something far more really practical. professional, practical, and gave you more meaning when you came out into the work into the workplace, yeah. the job market. So no, definitely. Um, if I, if I had my time again, I would do exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's great. So where did you go from outsourcing? Sorry, I did interrupt you on that one. That's okay, no problem. Um, so, so I went from outsourcing, so I then went to um, a company called Tribal Group, who are a technology and services company who operate within the education market, um, both uh, in the UK and globally. And my initial brief when I joined that organisation was to join and be part of a bid team who were working on two sort of large central government outsourcing tenders. And... The, the role really was one which was come and uh, look at what the people model would look like if we were to be successful in winning those tenders. Um, and then uh, assuming that we are successful, actually work on the transition of the workforce out of central government and into the private sector. And then the cultural change and the, the reorganization that needed to go with that in order for us to be able to get to an operating model that was kind of delivering the KPIs and also profitable and would work in the private sector as well so um so the organization was successful we, we secured both of those those contracts um which moved a significant number of people out of central government into private sector so there was then a a good couple of years of sort of cultural transformational change with that workforce which was um which was really exciting and really interesting to kind of be part of of that journey um 
And then as that came to an end, I then moved into more of a divisional HR leadership role within within the company um, before then taking up a position of sort of group HR director, which gave me responsibility for all of the people activities across uh, all of the activities for kind of tribal group, which is very sort of UK based and and then the international activity as well. And that was that was great in that role of kind of HR director, um, group director. That gave me real exposure then to a number of different things and and that kind of continuous learning. So, some of the international HR practice was um, certainly new, and having to get my head around some of that. Uh, leading teams in the in the US and Australia, like how how to do that, that kind of virtual leadership, remote teams, etc. Um, that was uh, certainly a learning curve. And there was also a number of activities around uh, company acquisition and then integrating those new companies into the group, both UK-based companies and um, a number of internationally-based companies as well. So there were some real sort of lessons in there around sort of managing cultural differences, remote teams, virtual leadership, et cetera. So that was, that was great. And more importantly, I think for me, as I took up that group HR director role, meant that I was really able to make the most impactful connection between what our commercial strategy was and being sat around the table as we were mapping that out and talking about our kind of long-term goals and ensuring that the people practice and the people strategy had a really close alignment to that um, so that we were able and I was enabled then to ensure that the HR function had a remit that I guess they felt able and empowered to influence beyond what you might traditionally think is HR's role. Um, and that's always been really important for me. That was always the piece that was missing was, you know, how do we get HR out of the box that sometimes it's put into and have it more in the impactful kind of aligned to, to strategy space? I think that's really interesting. I was just hearing your journey, which is quite quick in terms of this. And I was wondering whether um, it, was, well, it feels like every move brought in a new set of learning. So you've ended up in a third or fourth role with a very broad experience set, um, was that was that sort of intentional or? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, you know, certainly for me, I think kind of throughout my career and right the way back to kind of those early days in the NHS, what I've always kind of had is a view that says, well, if I look out to the next 12, 24 months in the role that I'm in and in the organisation that I'm in, am I going to be challenged? Are there new things that I can learn? Um, and you know how can I broaden that knowledge base that I've got and I think kind of taking that approach and, and asking myself those questions has led me to a space where when I've had those kind of intentional moves from one organization to another I've actively sought out an opportunity to get into a different space into a different sector um, just to, to continue that learning journey but also I think to see how those broader range of people practices you can apply and you can take kind of the best from I guess, all of those different experiences and start to apply it to that new environment, new space that you find yourself within. So that's always been something which has motivated me and I've looked for in those future moves. I mean, that's, that, I think that's great advice. It's, also, it's, it's almost to other people, if they were looking to move on like that, that's, it's looking, rather than comfort zoning, looking for similarities, you've almost gone for different roles, different experiences. And then the other thing that just came through to me from what you were saying earlier was this whole sort of um, commercial um, thinking so you know working out how to link with the strategy how to be um, link the HR strategy with the business again is that learned or is that innate to you or is it something I mean certainly that's one of those things we know that HR need to do more of I think um, so I guess some of that is um, so some of it's learned some of it comes from 
I guess those early days of kind of degree doing a kind of a general business degree so my interest was always in the overall activities of the business of the organization um, and what I've kind of I guess sort of learned and seen through every sector every role that I've had is you know regardless of whether we you know an organization position positions itself as a uh, as a technology firm or in the higher education space or whatever sector it's in every business is a people business and therefore the impact that I think HR can have on that commercial activity is massive uh, and as you, as you said this in the you know as a profession I think we need to get better at that and uh, I think we need to be less apologetic as well and actually the kind of the debate around whether HR should have a seat at the table well, actually, if we're kind of if, if we're having impact and if we're influencing that seat at the table naturally happens and is naturally opened to us. So I think for me, it's more about the whole HR function, seeing their remit as one which is broader than the, the kind of the small box that people will put HR into and having some of those pointy elbows and being brave enough just to get involved in some of those conversations that link people to the, the, link the people activities to the wider business activities. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, so I felt. I mean, you kind of asked some of my follow-up questions already in terms of we know you went on then to Falmouth, didn't you? From that role, you were I just did. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So yeah, so you kind of went on went on to Falmouth, and as you sort of say again, that intentional looking for something different, and um, and we and in a sector that was going through a significant period of change as well, and continues to go through a significant period of change. So that always presents a yeah. learning opportunities as well, and a university with a very distinct um, ambition as a very ambitious change agenda within your remit as well hasn't it within hr very much so Sorry. yeah 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 very much not so much in the hr but but in terms of a people agenda yeah absolutely in terms of the kind of the people agenda um and the university as well i think that's looking across at the the operating model in the sector and how higher education works and starting to really challenge whether it needs to whether the status quo is right um and actually whether the status quo is broken um and therefore some really new ideas and approaches are needed um, and recognising that, that that's only going to come from us getting our people to embrace that and to operate in different ways. So um, very much a, a, an organisation, an institution that was putting people at the kind of the heart of the change programme that it needs to go through. Definitely. So if you were to cast your mind back to before you went into the NHS, it sounds actually very strategic and planned. Is there any advice that you'd give your younger self or, or in fact, anyone else out there who would like to become an HR director? Um, in the future I think um so so my advice to my young self I think would be to um, to be brave to be brave to make some of those moves that feel really scary um, and you know benefit of hindsight I look back and there are a couple of moves that now I wish I'd made a little bit quicker um, so uh, I think kind of make that leap the other side is never quite as scary as you think it's going to be and the learnings that you take from one organization into another are massive and they enable you to really challenge the status quo um, and I think that's my kind of my second piece would be that challenge what you see you know um, I think when I started out in my career I kind of had this perception that those people who had been in the professional or in the role for longer had all of the answers but actually over time and then sort of certainly now moving into that kind of HR director space it, I'm very acutely aware that actually we don't have all of the answers um, and therefore those kind of those new voices those innovative disruptive voices challenges around how things can operate and why they operate in certain ways are really really welcome um, and I think it's just about so for those people who are starting out in the career I think it's you know 
recognize that your opinion is completely valued um, and that you know those those left field ideas you might have could be the kind of the next big breakthrough for the organization so voice them yes don't be scared to speak up it's all about that fresh thinking isn't it very much so yeah and being and having someone who's prepared to listen to it of course so there's a cultural aspect there in terms of if you're an HR director are you listening to that fresh thinking and um you know if you're someone starting out you know speak up and hopefully you'll be listened to yes yeah definitely and as you say there is certainly a kind of you know um a requirement on myself and kind of colleagues in senior positions HR directors and other you know any leadership role to to make sure that everybody has the space to have that voice and to be listened to yeah definitely so final question uh if you were to have a superpower if you felt that hr could have a superpower or we could make a magic wand or something like that you know light-hearted idea what do you think it should be to transform the profession so i think for me um it would be around uh emotional intelligence and insight giving everybody if we could give everybody that power of insight to be able to see the impact that their their kind of their actions, their behaviours, their decisions, their words, whatever, have on those around them, um, and to be able to see that in advance, and therefore think a little bit more about what they were doing. I think it would be that we'd it'd be brilliant. We'd be able to all of the problems that we have. I think around kind of teams, around high performing teams, around kind of engaging work environments, we'd be able to solve so quickly if uh, if we could give everyone that that ability. Yes, because people would actually because most people don't go out set out to upset people or you know not 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 motivate people or whatever you know they it's actually just that lack of thought in the moment or lack of awareness. I like that. It is. Yeah, could, and, uh, you know, could, and we're all, change the world. Yeah, and we're all busy, <laughs> and we're all busy, and you know, yeah. it's it's kind of you know taking the time, isn't it, to think through some of those things in advance. But um, yeah, as you say, I, I've not come across people who intentionally seek to create those negative environments. It's um, just that lack of awareness. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Dan, for um, putting me on the HR Uprising. I really appreciate your insights. And there was so much to get out of that, that journey and lots of, lots of suggestions along the way, lots of things to take from that. So uh, thank you very well. No problem. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, Lucinda. So this week's guest, I'd like to welcome Eleanor Walker from Atkinson HR Consulting. Thank you for being with us today, Eleanor. Thank you for having me. So in terms of what well, you know from all of our, our 12 HR colleague conversations we've got a nice little structure that we're running through and the starting point is what would you describe as your potted career history just to give us a feel from where you've been in your journey to date? Okay so I my first role after leaving university was in customer services so I worked in a couple of call centres um, for some quite big well-known organisations in the UK um, and just really doing customer service over the phone. And as part of one of those roles, I got an opportunity to go into the quality monitoring team. So that involved listening to customer service calls and having the opportunity to give feedback and help people to become a little bit better in the experiences that they were offering to our customers. Um, and then from that, I managed to get involved in learning development so I was helping the learning and development team to understand some of the challenges that our employees were having and how that was impacting on the customers. And I just fell in love with it straight away. So I really enjoyed having that impact on the organization, um, putting myself in the shoes of the customer and trying to help our employees do the same thing. 
to to really try and enhance our customer experience really um, and then from there I got my first role as a sort of proper learning and development person yeah. in a financial services company um, and again there I was designing designing training a lot of it was around compliance and delivering induction delivering management development programs and supporting team leaders and employees again to improve the customer services and sales um, and then I also managed to get involved in some more of the of the HR side of things as well there so I was doing a little bit of recruitment helping to review policies and that kind of thing yeah um, so starting to get a bit of a broader a broader HR background and then from there, sorry. I was going to say, because I'm intrigued because my background was learning and development. So you've gone yeah. through the L&D route into more pure HR now. Is that what you're, you're in? Well, my next, so my role after that was, again, in learning and development. Um, and that was solely focused on learning and development. And that was working for a large um, supply chain organisation that was, that was global. And I very quickly moved into a management role there. So within less than a year I was leading the L&D function for Europe for that organization um, which was a huge jump but a great challenge um, and that's where I sort of had my experience in learning and development so I then also got involved in things like talent and succession planning and performance management and much more around leadership development and I had the opportunity to deliver training in New York and Hong Kong and across Europe. And it was this, this, this great role where I got lots of exposure and lots of experience and learned from some really great leaders, some really great HR teams and some really talented people, really. Um, and while I was in that role, I started doing my CIPD level seven um, in human resource management. Um, and then my current role is then again back to kind of the broader, the broader HR um, with still a lot of the, the people and development side of things. So you've got that kind of quite a breadth of, of means it works really well in terms of you can be quite flexible, whether it's HR that you're delivering or L&D, you've got a, a broad base there that you can support people with. Yes, definitely. Um, that's, that's where I'm getting to anyway. Um, yeah. I think my, my strengths are definitely in the, the, the learning and development side of things. But I think, I, I think it all links together, as I'm sure you'll agree, really, really well anyway. Um, and a lot of the time you might be brought into a client or an, a part of the organisation that is looking for some L&D support. But actually, once you start asking questions, you realise that there's a broader, a broader problem or a broader thing that you can support with that involves other areas of HR. And it's almost like you've, you've got this OD thing going on there as well, haven't you? Because it's understanding the overall business um, challenge and how you might benefit it in different ways, I'm guessing. Yeah. Are you working with smaller businesses now in Atkinson HR? What, what's, what's your typical customer now? Typically, it's small to medium-sized charities. So it's small organisations and also a, a, a new sector, really, for me. So um, we don't just work with charities, but most of our, of our, um, of our, of our clients are small charities. And how would you say that they're different compared to, say, financial services? And would you say there's a difference in culture of the industries? Yes, um, I think there is. So there's at the end of the day, I think 
the, the, the approach isn't necessarily that different. So people, I find, you know, the, the employee experience that I'm really interested in, in helping organisations to create, I don't think matters, to, um, you know, if you're a large organisation or a small organisation. Um, but there's certainly a difference in how, how it feels, I think. So um, some of those differences are great. Some of those differences are, are more challenging. I think the one thing that I've noticed is definitely that a lot of the charities that I'm working with are much more values driven. Yeah. So their values are integrated into all parts of what they do um, for employees as well as for their, their members or, or whoever that is benefiting from the charity. Um, so it's much less, I think it's much more usual to go into a charity and, and all of the employees can talk about the values and it's written into the policies um, there's a feel for the values in the way that they recruit and retain and develop their staff. Um, and that, I'm sure that's not the case in, in every single charity, just as much as it's not the case for large organisations that, that they don't do that. But it's certainly the, the thing that I immediately noticed. Yeah, I've got some experience. I would agree with you from my limited experience in there's different cultures there. Um, and it can be a good thing and a bad thing, I think, actually, because um, being very values driven is great if it really is woven in and everyone um, lives up to it. But it can also create challenges if people are perceived as not living the values um, or, you know, just using lip service to it. So it's a, an interesting one. I mean, and, and actually on that. So we talked about challenges. You've noticed you've had some exciting challenges, both in your international role and um, currently. Have you got an example of a challenge that you'd be happy to share for this audience? I think my biggest challenge throughout what I've done so far has been getting the organisation to be more on board with the approach to learning and development that I wanted to take. So um, when I first started in, in L&D, the, the, the way that it worked was very much that the business would come to me with a title for a training course, um, the number of people that they wanted to attend, when they wanted it to happen and how long it would be. Yep. Um, and, I, and that made me, I know that there's lots of talk now about um, performance consulting and how that's not the way to go, but that's always something that's made me feel quite uncomfortable. And um, again, I think um, it was about, um, because I've, I feel like I've got quite a lot of empathy for others. So um, when from coming from customer service, that sparked a real interest in me with employee experience as well. Yeah. And I just knew that, well, I wouldn't want to attend that training course. You know, I, I wouldn't want to attend a training course where I've not been, nobody's asked me any questions. Don't feel like anybody really knows why something's happening or something isn't happening. And I guess the challenge was trying to convince the organization that, that, that to do it a different way. Um, and in, at some times it was, it was quite easy so some people would kind of respond to some questioning and actually then change the way that they'd approached it quite easily whereas others really just kind of wanted you to deliver this training course um, and I, I struggled at first with sort of sticking to my guns and and actually saying you know I, I'm not going to I, I don't think this is the right way to do it and and let's try it this way um, 
Yeah, because I mean, I remember that experience as well myself in terms of people say, oh, you know, people need a time management course. Um, and then you'd sit down and actually understand what you needed to understand what it was that was making them think that's what they needed in order to properly diagnose what the solution was. It might well be more about they needed clear priorities or, or the managers needed to learn how to set objectives or something, as opposed to, you know, they're coming in saying, this is what I think the fix is which may mean you're just actually completely treating the wrong symptoms. So it's definitely an education piece, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And I think what, what helped me was having um, a really great mentor and a really great sponsor who would put me into situations where, she, where we, could, we could get under the skin of things, um, which hadn't necessarily been done before. So it was um it, it was really powerful to have that senior person who was was kind of on the same wavelength as me and, and supporting the fact that I was actually going against what the business wanted or what the business thought they wanted um that was an internal mentor was it yes yeah, so my um my manager in my previous role um just had she really really believed in me and really believed in what I wanted to achieve and my way of doing things. And if I hadn't have had that, I think it would have been even more of a challenge because she was very much on my side and um, would listen to what I wanted to do. And if she came to me with, you know, this part of the business wants a time management course and I challenged that, she would always agree with my challenge and support me in, in, in going back to the business and trying to find another way around it that's great um so it's really important i guess then to try and pay that forward and i guess so linking in um from that uh if i say you know if you were to give your younger self advice it sounds like mentorship is an important thing is there anything else that you would um advise your younger self so many things i think <laughs> um i think the biggest one for me was just because something's a good idea doesn't mean that you have to do it right away um, and again, that goes back to this, this previous mentor that I had who she always used to tell me that good enough is good enough. And I passionately disagreed with her uh, for a long time because <laughs> I was always trying to design the best training um, or I, was, I wanted to make sure that my slides were beautiful and that my marketing for my training courses was, was amazing. And, you know, I, I was always trying to, create everything to, to the absolute best that I could and also I think a lot of L&D are guilty of this but I was you know as soon as something new came out a new way of doing something a new piece of tech or a new book I'd want to implement it straight away um because I could see that it would be positive and it was a good idea yeah but usually by the time I'd got round to doing anything with it the business had moved on didn't need it anymore and actually it, I wasn't being very productive um, so when I finally realised that actually good enough is good enough and I just need to focus on getting the best possible version of something out there. In the time uh, frame required. Kind of. Yeah, and then make it better later. So yeah, um, listen to how people respond to it. Does it work? If not, scrap it. If it does, if it does but we could improve it, then let's do it more slowly. And um, that, I think, was a much better way of of one meaning that I was achieving a lot and to demonstrate into the business that this way of um of 
kind of getting to the bottom of a problem and then helping them to co-create a solution and I can get it out there in a week meant that I was proving to the organization that it did work um, rather than the you know let's design a program that takes six weeks and then deliver it and then by then it's not it's not really working so um yeah I think if I'd have known that earlier on then I would have had a couple more productive years I think it's a bit like agile product development it's because it's quite easy if you go off into a darkened room to go and get creative to almost go away from the original brief so it's almost if you come in and do something then bring it out and test it with the organization and then tweak it it's probably a better way isn't it on hindsight it's easy easy to do that's a great tip yeah okay so um personal aspirations or goals for yourself um so at the moment i'm still working towards my cipd level seven which is taking up quite a lot of my time um yeah yeah. Um, is is that part is it a day a week or how are you doing that distance yes i'm doing kind of on top of full-time and full-time full-time work and um full-time toddler too so oh great um, but um i think in in the short term i'd really like to find a um a position as a charity trustee um, so I'm, I'm kind of actively trying to do that at the moment. Um, I think that's something that will really help me to get a better understanding of the charity sector. Um, and I also know that it's a really good opportunity to obviously to volunteer your time in a, in a meaningful way, but also to get board experience and that experience in with, with senior leaders of an organization. Great. Um, so if, there's any, if there's anyone listening who knows of a need for that, we'll put your details on the show notes. You never know. Thank you. Great. Um, slightly longer term, um, I think, helping the business currently to meet its growth targets. So we'd really like to increase our capacity, get some more consultants on board and, and, and have some larger organisations that we work with um, in the next few years. So I'm quite excited about, about helping the organisation to grow because we're very small at the moment. There's just three of us. Um, and also at the moment with some of the organizations that I'm working with, we're currently looking at implementing some people strategies, which are kind of three to four years in length. So I'm really excited to revisit those in uh, periodically throughout that time and, and start gathering some data that shows what impact those people strategies have had. Um, so because it's, it's something that's quite new to me, um, And I think the as much as we're involved in the organization's project work and we're kind of in touch with them all the time, there's some key milestones in there that I'm really excited to reach and and, and see what, what benefits that these people strategies have had. Absolutely. Yeah. To, that impact and that evidence-based practice is really, really key. Yeah. So final question for you. If you had a superpower, what would your HR superpower be? Um. I think this was the easiest question I've ever answered. <laughs> um, did you used to watch Charmed in the, in the late 90s? Do you know what? I think I'm too old. <laughs> you have to explain it for me. Um, oh, it was an early noughties show about witches and demons and um, a little bit like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Um, but probably less popular. Um, so there were demons in um, in that show called Seekers and they had this, power where they could just absorb everything they needed from other people's minds so they could kind of read people's brains and then use that information to commit horrible deeds um i wouldn't 
I would put it to much better use but um, I'd really like to be able to absorb stuff so from podcasts and blogs and books um, really quickly and just store it so that I can access it later and then I'm constantly reading stuff and listening to stuff and and I as much as I try and catalogue it and then go away and reflect on it and then come back to it and think about how I can put it into practice I'm not actually very good at doing that so um, I'd love to be able to just scan something record it and then have it forever yeah and knowing where it is I see great stuff now and it's working out how to file it and find it when you want it isn't it later uh, that's half the battle uh, you know I think that's really good self-awareness isn't it as an L&D person often it, you know do we spend enough time learning and, and ourselves and there's so much information out there so to be able to you know absorb the maximum amount of it so you could put that much more value back it would be great wouldn't it if you get the secret let me know I will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eleanor, for coming on. Um, it's been really great talking to you. I wish you lots of success with your future goals and challenges. Thank you, Lucinda, and thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. I'd like to welcome Jennifer Sherla Gormley, who is the HR business partner for UK, Ireland and Northern Europe for Cisco. So welcome, Jen. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> so, as you know, we're doing this little run in for Christmas. So we wanted to get some ideas about your career path to date and to inspire other HR uprisers out there about how you might go on an HR journey such as your own. Do you want to run us through your journey to where you are now? Yeah, so I guess my HR journey started at university. So I was fortunate to go to Aston University, which did a four year course. And then the third year was Aston Industry. And I managed to get a placement at Hewlett Packard for a year in their HR department, um, specifically in compensation and benefits. But it really gave me a flavour of the different departments in HR, which I had no visibility of prior to that. So then I went back into my final year and got a graduate job at United Biscuits for just over a year I did that. And I realised actually that sector wasn't of massive interest to me. And I saw an advert for Siemens and technology seemed to sort of sing to me more. And I remember looking at the advert and thinking, mm, I, I don't think I can do it. And my husband going, absolutely, you can. And just went through line by line. And I was, I've completely lived the stereotype of, but I, I couldn't tick every single yeah. requirement. And my husband going, but you can do the first two, just go along, see where you go. And so I started my journey at Siemens. And I actually was there for 17 years. Um, for one year, I was at Capital One. And during that time, I did have three kids and enjoyed a year off for each of them. So 17 years feels like a really long time, but it was actually dispersed into sort of three-year blocks. And um, I did junior positions and worked my way up through the HR organisation at Siemens and being a business partner in all of the different areas by the time I left. And then left Siemens to go to Cisco, um, which is a huge American uh, technology company and was just really attracted by the culture that they had there and their innovation in HR. Um, and also it had the benefit of me being able to continue to work in Nottingham, but work across um, the globe. And there aren't that many organizations that allow you to live where you want to live and yet have that global reach. So I was really fortunate within Cisco. So I've been Cisco for six years now. And so in terms of your roles, because I obviously knew you at Siemens, didn't I? And you were very senior in that you you 
were successor for the HR director, um, really, weren't you, in, in terms of that. Culturally, in terms of your, your journey, what would you say your secret was to keep on stepping up the organisation? What would, what, what would your... I, I think I am learning more and more is by saying, yes, there, there have been many changes in my career that have absolutely frightened my pants off me in terms of, but I don't know, I don't know, and making that leap. Now I'm exceptionally risk averse if you, um, in in my in my personal life, and so sometimes I really do have to gulp down that sort of fear of, but I don't know, and just taking a leap anyway. And I have been fortunate in the leaders that I've worked for, um, in that they have also provided me sometimes with a bit of a boost up my bum to go, come on, you know, cross over that that edge of uncomfiness. Um, so I think, yeah, just going in and, and doing the different departments. So as HR business partner, um, you know, experiencing the different functions and the different leaders that go with that. And yes, you can be stereotypical about sales and marketing, but there are a whole range of leaders even within sales and marketing. Um, and yeah, going into the engineering functions, uh, the customer service, I think just helps provide you with um, a greater degree of um, understanding of the business. And frankly, if you don't care about the business and you don't care about people, then um, you shouldn't be in HR. Because if you're just doing one and not the other, you're really missing a trick. So I think having that curiosity and passion for both the business and the people is critical. Oh, that makes total sense. And you're, you're right. So you, you've, you're saying challenge yourself, right? Believe in yourself, take a risk um, on, on things. Um, but I think when I, what you're saying that is, and certainly I observed that, was you really did understand your customers didn't you? You really knew the needs of your internal customers plus the needs of the business. And it was always about actually having that passion to deliver for both. Um, something I, I think you're always very highly rated for those aspects. Yeah. And I think I think there is always a line to be crossed because it's not going native in that part of the business and not getting sucked into their drama and them being so very different. So there, of course, there are differences. You need to understand them, but equally not making it, you know, overplaying that because there is more that binds us that's common than is different. And so I think you know, where I've seen sometimes my colleagues um, have overstepped the mark, it's not really served them well. The yeah. business might think that they're, they're the best partner, but actually they're not serving the, the macro business overall. So I think it is um, towing that line, which is sometimes a difficult one to tread. Yeah, getting the balance. So I suppose that links into um, the second question, which is about challenges. And I guess that would be one of them, towing the line and finding that balance. Are there any other HR challenges that you'd share that would be useful to this audience? Um, for me, I think it's um, either thinking or pretending that you know it all. Just because you are an HR professional doesn't mean that you have the monopoly on all things people. And in fact, um, having the curiosity and openness, I think, is critical because great ideas um, can come from anywhere and that it might need some HR help to, to feed the idea and progress it. Um, and if you think you know it or you're pretending you know it, I think you come unstuck. People can sense that. And I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think we have got the monopoly on that. And no one person is the same. So even if you've read your psychology books, you know, uh, Lucy's done psychology, you know, it doesn't suddenly mean that you're an expert in everything and everyone. So um, I think having that open-mindedness and curiosity. Absolutely. Managing with everybody. Managing everyone's always there to surprise you at some point. 
no, no opportunity to get smug. We were talking about that earlier, weren't we? And, and in any area of life. <laughs> so, so managing those different areas, those different areas, being open-minded. Um, yeah, not not and being humble almost, having that humility to think that other people might have those answers. It's not about and actually that's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes maybe we put pressure on ourselves that we've got to be the expert, and there's nothing wrong with going out and getting the answers from others. Yeah, and to say, look, actually, I need to understand more before um, I can think of what the, that solution can be, or let me reflect on that, yeah. and not not feeling like in that meeting or in that moment that you have to have the answers. Because there are so many areas of grey and not one formula that will get you to the end solution. So I think being open-minded is critical. Yeah, and not being put on, not letting yourself be put on the spot to come up with the answer, giving yourself a chance to go and gather the information. Good. Thank you. Uh, and then I suppose advice for your younger self. Is there anything that you've found out now after a, a number of years in, in the various roles that you, I, I mean, you mentioned earlier, maybe having more self-confidence and, and taking risks. Any other advice that you'd give a younger Self? Yeah, I think I think something that I have I've, I've put a name on it recently over probably the last three years or so are the saboteurs in my head. So your gremlins that sit on your shoulder, and I think identifying those and understanding where they're playing. And mine are a are a lovely cocktail of high achiever and people pleaser. So I set myself ridiculous standards that I've possibly have no hope in actually achieving and also pleasing everybody along the way of which okay. we know you can't That's please everybody yeah so when you look at that that piece of um having the answer then I think that's where you know I I think probably when I first set out I knew what I didn't know but I wanted to pretend that I knew it and so I think if I could just say just just be calm just breathe and just you know ask um, spend your efforts in asking really powerful questions and then giving yourself time to breathe to then think of, okay, now what is the solution to that issue? Rather than your brain panicking and going, somebody's come to you with a problem and you've got to have an answer within a sentence. Um, so I think just that sort of getting your gremlins or your saboteurs under control, wrestling those to the ground and just you know, having, having that humility, but that confidence in, your, in the humility. Absolutely. And let yourself, let yourself have that time. Is what you're saying just as well don't don't feel you've got to rush yeah great yeah and and and, and spend your efforts in the powerful questions because that will help you um it will help you give you time and also get to a more powerful solution in terms of powerful questions have you got any favorites and i'm putting you on the spot there in terms of ones that have worked for you i guess i don't have a script of powerful questions because i think it is just allowing the questions to come to you in the conversation which again quiet head down because I think for me if I had a these are the best questions to ask then you're almost going formulaic and then yeah. again you're not listening so um it's natural no, I can't think of I can't think of my top three um I could possibly at the end of this week think what were the ones that unlocked in those conversations but I think it's just being really present in that conversation to understand and let your curiosity guide you in the questions rather than the Absolutely. Because always the thing is, you spin about going, "Oh gosh, I've got to ask a really powerful question." I remember when I first started interviewing, I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're going to find me out if I don't have really good questions, ones that really stitch them up." And actually, if you just let yourself be there, present in the conversation, actually, and let the curiosity um, uh, build, then that's where your questions will come, and they're and they're a lot more authentic. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's, it's being real and, and asking the real ones because you're really there in presence. So just on that, a sort of, a sort of side question, have, have you had any formal training or development? Would you, did you, was there any development that's helped you along the way or do you wish you'd had? Um, I think there's some powerful training I've had in the, uh, since coming to Cisco is we have a programme that is called um, Conscious Leadership. So it's really understanding who you are as a leader and then understanding who do you want to be. Yeah, where are the areas that you're strong and you want to be even stronger? And where are the areas that you um, want to work on? So it was a really powerful self-development um, program that wasn't trying to get to you know, an end of you are a Cisco leader and a cookie cutter. It was really trying to get to who you are as an individual and who do you want to be. I think that really helped me to understand um, my inner drivers and also the impact um i have and can have and i just i found that you know it was a deeply selfish uh program in terms of it was very you know um uh, introspective but it was just such a pleasure to take that time and that headspace out to do that i'm sure that benefits you at home as well as work though doesn't it knowing yourself properly like that oh completely and that, so that's kind of almost the same thing in terms of what you're saying is, is then by knowing yourself really well and being comfortable with yourself, you can then be authentic and, and help others or, you know, do the right thing in the situation, ask the right questions because you're being authentic. I was just going to say, so being comfortable in, in you know, your vulnerability, you know, comfortable yeah. and confident. So, um, you know, we have, you know, the greatest leaders I have seen have shown vulnerability as well. Yeah. Um, because then that goes hand in hand with the authenticity. And taking that on to the sort of penultimate question, I suppose, in terms of your personal aspirations, you said you were able to look at what your strengths were and what you wanted, where you wanted to go next. So either personal aspirations or career aspirations, are any of you happy to share what you want to do next? Um, for me, business partnering has always been um, key. So I think um, where I am able to partner great leaders with you know, great performing or or maybe even underperforming organisations, but you've got a great leader there that is um, really fired up to turning it around, then that will always um, hold my interest. And whether that comes you know, higher up in the organisation, um, then great. But I think I'm, I'm more interested in the, in the interesting work and that balancing with my personal life as well. And what's interesting work? What's interesting work for you? Yeah, so um, for me is um, is where there is opportunity. So be that in the um, you know problems to solve and to overcome, or where there is um, a leapfrog opportunity to to be even better. Um, I've been very fortunate within Cisco. There are a number of practices that we have just scrapped, and then put forward leapfrog um solutions to and that's exciting um you know it's not always wrapped up in a bow fully completed and then how do we um how do we land that you know across the world and then what is that feedback loop and what is that improvement you can do and you know i've been very heavily involved um in a number of the implementations in that feedback loop um, and i love that breaking new ground yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah, and working out. And we did that loose in Finland. Oh, we did. I was just thinking. That. So it's it's almost like it's it's getting stuck into something new, whatever that new challenge is, and working out the answers because you don't know them at the start, do you? So one final question for you: um, If the HR profession could have a superpower or a magic wand, what would that be? 
Um, now, I don't know which is feeding my saboteurs, but I would love to be able to read the mind. So rather than, um, you know, going maybe going to a leader with a solution and you get that sort of nod-nod or passive-aggressive behaviour, I'd love to know what's really going on. But I think that would be a nightmare for my saboteurs and my gremlins because as a people please they'll be like oh my gosh I'm not pleased with <laughs> individual but but I think that would be powerful yeah so rather than people just being yes yes um HR and then not actually you know the thing's not sticking I'd love to know what's really going on for them because then you could solve it so much faster couldn't you absolutely you know what's really going on for them yeah mind reading that's a good superpower yeah mind reading with a shield <laughs> Mind you, the shield to stop you from having to like take on too much extra stuff, but you know, in terms of the feeding your gremlins. <laughs> Brilliant. Jen, thanks so much. It's really great to have you on. It's been great catching up with you. And thanks for being one of our 12 HRs. Oh, thank you. So that concludes this week's HR Uprising. Thanks so much to Dan, Ellie and Jen for being um, part of the programme. I hope you found their stories interesting and do feel free to reach out. As ever, if you enjoy what we're doing, please do refer us to your colleagues and friends. If you have a moment and you'd be happy to give us a, um, a rating on the Apple app or whichever one of your devices you do, then that would also be much appreciated. If you haven't come across it yet we have a LinkedIn group and we're really quite active on social media and growing strongly so let's keep this collaboration going and you know reach out to these people too and link in with them and uh, hopefully together we can all learn more together. Thanks very much look forward to next week when I will be speaking with three people again so I'll be speaking with Ruth Cornish, Willorna Brock and Caroline Crawley so if you know any of those those people, then there's some really great personalities that I've got coming on next week. So do listen out for that and I hope you'll tune in. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.